You're listening to the Novel Universe Podcast, a monthly YA Life podcast hosted by Dawn Abram and Elise Martinez, YA librarians from the Chicago land area. Each episode features reviews and rants on new and upcoming YA books. We're here to help you navigate your TBR pile. What's good, what's bad, and everything in between. I'm Dawn, the criticizer of books. And I'm Elise, the rejecter of romance. So turn up the volume. Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to the Novel Universe with your host, Dawn, the criticizer of books. Elise, the rejecter of romance, is on hiatus. Hopefully she will be back soon. But until then, it's just you and me. So today's podcast, I will be counting down my favorite, I can't say YA books because there are a couple of adult books on here. So my favorite reads of 2019, all of the books on this list were published in 2019 and they received a 4.0 or higher. Interestingly, I don't have any fives this year. I usually have at least one. Last year, I believe I had three or two. I don't know. Anyway, um, I didn't have any fives this year. I had a couple of four, seven, fives, which obviously made the top of the list, but no fives. Um, okay, so in my podcast for my worst of the year, I kind of broke down what I look for when I read books. I am a critical reader. I'm a teen librarian, so I read critically, and there are certain things that I look for. I'm not going to go through that whole list again, but I will put it in the show notes. But quickly, I'm looking for character development, world building, if it is a fantasy, uh, strong themes, and writing style. And by writing style, I like a very slow, thematic, metaphorical, prosy story. I am that person. Okay, so without further ado, let's get to my top 10 of the year. Number 10 is King of Scars by Lee Bardugo. I gave this a four. I liked Shadow and Bone and uh, Nikolai, like everybody else, was one of my favorite characters. So I was excited that he got his own series. I enjoyed his chapters a lot, especially with Zoya, who I actually don't remember from Shadow and Bone at all, actually. And I'm a little bummed out by that because I like her a lot. The two of them are hot, I don't think Bardugo is going to put them together because she tends to not do that. She likes to do a slow burn romance and sometimes there's no action even on the page, which happened with Kez and Inej. So I don't expect them to love each other on the page. I hope that they do, but I don't think they will. Uh, Nikolai is in true Nikolai form. Uh, It's well written like Bardugo always does. So... I enjoy King of Scars and it made number 10. Number nine is Dark Dawn by Jay Kristoff. Dark Dawn is number three in the Nevernight series. I gave this a 4.25. So I do this thing that I hate. And what I do is when I have a book that is well over 400 pages and it's taking me a while to get through like a week, I tend to... Just try and get through it. I'm like, oh God, I just I just need to get through this book. I'm tired of reading it. I just want to find out what happens so I can get to the next book. And when I do that, I miss stuff. So I'm not really paying attention to the confusing parts. And I'll just say, eh, this is kind of confusing, but 
I'll just keep reading it. Maybe it'll explain itself in the end. It usually doesn't, but I don't make an effort to take notes. <laughs> I'm just plowing through. I don't skim, but I'm not paying as much attention as I should. And I did this with Dark Dawn. And because of that, I actually lowered my rating. I The ending was a little confusing, and I know it's my fault. It's not the book's fault. I just didn't take time to really pay attention to it. And I did not like who Mia ended up with. And it really affected my rating. Even if I had of paid attention and understood everything that happened in the end, I still think I probably would have given it a 425 simply because I don't like who she ended up with. That's my own problem, not the books, but it did affect my enjoyment of the story. So therefore, it affected my rating. Dark Dawn or the Nevernight series is adult fantasy. It is not YA and Jay Kristoff will let you know that. <laughs> if you like a rich world with a badass heroine, then the Nevernight series is fantastic. Everyone I've given it to has loved it. So if you're on the fence on whether or not you should pick it up because it's not YA, um, I say go for it. It's, it's YA with more sex and blood, basically. Um, a lot of sex, actually. But if you can get through a Kotar, then you're fine with this book. All right, number eight is 13 Doorways, Wolves Behind Them All by Laura Ruby. I gave this a 4.25. So this book, unlike the first two books I named, would be considered a critical book. And a critical book means that it is more, more likely to win awards at the end of the year. And by that I mean the American Library Association has a division called the Yalsa um, Division. And it is for young adult books and young adult um, programming and advocacy. But... In this, for the sake of this podcast, they focus on books and they pick the best books of the year. And that award is called the Prince Award. And they usually pick a critical book. Sometimes they'll pick fantasy, but it's on a rare occasion. And so 13 Doorways, Wills Behind Them All is the type of book that they're going to pick. So basically it means that it is slow. It is character driven. It has lots of themes. It has some interesting POV. It has a new voice. Like it is, it is not a lot of action on the page. It is a deep dive into character study. This is a um, historical fiction. If you have not read it, it basically takes place in World War II, pre-World War II, and then it gets into it. And our main character, Frankie, lives in an orphanage with her sister and her brother, her younger sister and her older brother. Her mother has died and her father cannot take care of them, so he sends them to an orphanage and he comes and visits them on the weekend which was commonplace back in the 40s in America. But the story is told through the POV of a ghost. And as I'm reading this book, that's what hooked me. I'm like, because I'm really not a historical fiction reader, but the ghost POV got me. And also Laura Ruby writes magical realism, which I loved Bone Gap. If you haven't read Bone Gap, I highly recommend it, especially if you like magical realism. And in this book, I kept waiting for this huge revelation or the big shoe to drop on this ghost and it never happened. And I'm reading and reading and I can't figure out what Laura Ruby is trying to tell me. And at some point around 75%, it occurred to me that this is a historical fiction that happens to have a ghost in it and that it is not magical realism. 
and that it is a straight up feminist book. It's straight up feminist. And once I realized that, I was able to really start to enjoy the book. So basically what this book is about is females and their relationships with other people. So women and their relationships with their siblings, male siblings, female siblings, with their mothers, with their fathers, with the lover, with peers, with um, adult women, adult men. It's just all about feminism that's taking place in the 40s where women had to be a certain way. It also includes the war and how all of that affects women and going into the workplace. Um, it is a very slow plot. There is no action on the page. It is completely character-driven. And it is also incredibly symbolic and metaphorical. Laura Ruby is the type of writer who is not going to tell you what anything means. It is entirely up to you, the reader, to figure out what the doorway symbolizes, what wolves symbolize, what that ghost symbolizes, what Frankie's haircut symbolizes. It is all up to you as the reader. And that's what I love about books like this because it's a great book discussion for you to sit and talk about it with another person because they're going to get something totally different from it than you. And that makes a great reading experience. I personally think that Laura Ruby is one of these authors who writes YA, but I think she writes for adults who read YA. I don't think she writes for teens. And I say that because as a teen librarian, I don't know what teen I would give this to because I, I see them getting bored. Unless it is my teen book club full of, or it's, I, my book club has 14 girls who are juniors and seniors in high school who are Ivy League bound. Like, these girls, they can read a book and they can pick it apart. But to just like an average teen reader, uh, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I would give this book to an average teen reader. So I think this is really for adults who read teen fiction. And I, there are several authors on this list who do that. So if you enjoy a slow metaphorical book, Highly, highly recommend it, especially if you're into feminist fiction. Okay, I'm on number seven. Number seven is Fireborn by Rosaria Munda. So this book is not getting any buzz. No one is reading this book, and I don't know why, because it is great. I gave this book a four and a half. This is the book. It's got a red cover, and there's a fire on the, uh, a fire on the cover. There's a dragon on the cover of the book. And so, of course, you're thinking, well, you know, there's a dragon on the cover. I'm going to get some badass dragon battles. You're not going to get badass dragon battles, at least not in this first book. I think the, the dragon fights are going to come in the second book, which I will be reading because I enjoyed this book a lot. Obviously, it's on my list. Um, if you haven't read this book, quickly, it's about, God, I can't remember his name, the main character. I'm just going to call him Cal. It might be Carl. I don't remember. I feel bad. But he was part of a monarchy who was since overthrown and killed because they got power hungry with their dragons. But he survived and he hid out. And 10 years later, he has been raised under the new regime that, are, that have a caste system. And in the caste system, you take a test to decide if you, what caste you fall into. So he has fallen into the highest caste, which is military and government. 
And when the book opens, he is, and this, well, the whole story is about him training to be the leader of the army. And the army are dragon riders. At the same time, his cousin actually survived. And she got away and she's pissed because her family has been killed. They've taken their dragons and they're trying to take over her birthright. And she's not having it. And so she goes to Carl or Cal or I can't remember his name. And she's like, um, hello, I'm here. I'm alive and I need you to help me take over this world again. And so he's conflicted because he's like, do I honor family who I have none anymore because I thought they're all dead? Or do I honor duty and government and country? So he's dealing with that. And then he has a best friend, Annie, who was raised in the orphanage with him. And she's part of the lower caste. And her family was killed by the dragon riders back in the day before the revolution. And she doesn't know who Cal is. So they kind of love each other. And so there's another conflict there. When she finds out who he is, is she going to not love him anymore? And he's he's torn about that too. And she also has her own insecurity issues going on. She's incredibly capable, smart, like has the potential to be the leader of the army. But because she's from a lower caste, they treat her like trash. And it's hard for her to overcome that. So this book is a character study into Annie and Carl, which is probably not his name, sorry. And the supporting characters really aid to the development of the world and our two main characters. Like I said, there are not a lot of dragon fights, but I personally don't like action on the page. So that didn't bother me at all. It's, it's incredibly character driven. Like it is, it's, it's a slow moving plot guys. So if you can handle that, I highly recommend this book It is really, really good. Um, it is Fireborn by Rosaria Munda. Number six is Aurora Rising by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. I gave this a four and a half. I was worried about this book because I could not get through Illuminate and it was really my issue, not the book's issue. So I was worried that, you know, once again, we have a thick ass book with a plot set in space. And so I wasn't expecting to like this book, but I really did like it. What I liked about it is the ensemble cast and the world was not predictable. Usually when you have a world set in space, you kind of see where it's going. But this totally did something different and I was all for it. I liked that the human race and the alien race had to kind of live together in somewhat harmony. Not total harmony, but you know, there's that. I liked most of the characters the one character I did not like actually ended up being the most important one and that person has a pivotal scene at the end that just like broke my heart and I was sobbing at the end of it and that kind of solidified it as one of my top of the year it is got a lot of action on the page so if you like characters and you like action I think this is a good book for you because it was never boring. It was never predictable. There's a character that everyone's going to like. Um, there was one character who didn't really contribute much. She was really kind of an introvert. I think she's going to be in the subsequent books, which I will be reading. Um, but 
yeah, I liked this a lot. Surprisingly, I liked it a lot. It was Aurora Rising by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. Number five is Call Down the Hawk by Maggie Stiefvater. I gave this a four and a half. So I really went in depth into why I like this book in my November wrap up. So if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, you can. But basically, I guess technically you don't have to read The Raven Cycle. I think that you should because A, it's a great series. It's got some great characters that will stay with you forever, a.k.a. Gansey and Ronan, who Ronan is the focus of the Call Down the Hawk series. But if you don't read The Raven Cycle, you're really going to miss who Ronan is and how he came to be who he was and what happened to his family and what he is. He's a dreamer and what that means and his relationship with Adam and who Adam is. So I do think it is beneficial for you to go back and read that series and it is well worth your time. It's a great series. It's very well written. And this book is no exception um the standout in this book is are the characters in the book mainly Ronan Declan his brother Declan and Jordan slash Hennessy um I also like Steve Otter's world she I know she probably comes up with this stuff based on folklore of other nations and gods and goddesses this is probably where she's getting a lot of this stuff from but because I've never heard of it It's fascinating. Her world is fascinating. And dreamers and how they can enter a dream and take stuff out of it and bring it back into the physical space is amazing. Like, everything she writes is beautiful. And Steve Otter is one of my favorite authors because I love her writing so much. And if you like a slow, character-driven plot like I do, then Call Down the Hawk is going to be on your list as well. So once again, I do recommend you do go back and read The Raven Cycle because it's a great series, but it'll also help you understand the book and enjoy the world. All right, number four is The Toll by Neil Schusterman. This is book three in the Scythe series. I gave this a four and a half. So um, I also did this book a little bit more in depth. In my November wrap-up, so if you really want to hear more thoughts about that book, you can go back and listen to that podcast. But this book was long as hell, first of all. And so remember I told you I do this thing where I just kind of like skippity-doo-dah through the end of books. I really had to force myself to not do this during this book. And so what I would do is when I found myself becoming like over it, because it did take me a week to get this book, is big, I would read a couple chapters and put it away and put it away for a couple of hours, watch some Netflix or some YouTube, pick it up again, read a couple chapters, put it away. Especially when I got towards the the last quarter of the book. Because if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got all the goodness that was in this book. It is a, it's a slow book, but at the same time, it's the pacing is quick. It's weird with Schusterman. Schusterman is a really good writer and his books are also critical books, even though they're science fiction. And usually science fiction books don't get a critical eye. They don't make those end of year best lists because those are usually reserved for realistic fiction and historical fiction. They don't typically give those awards to fantasy or science fiction. So for Schusterman to be considered a critical book, it means that 
He's got a lot of themes going on and some nuanced voices and some great writing. In this book, once again, it had all those things. If you have been waiting to read this series because you don't like to wait for the new book, they're all published. It is worth a read. They are fantastic. And if you like science fiction with some interesting stuff going on, with some great pacing and great characters, then I highly recommend it. Okay, we are getting down to my top three. Number three is There Will Come a Darkness by Katie Rose Poole. So I gave this a 4.75. I had this arc on my shelf. I was not going to read it because I typically don't like debut fantasy authors. I have read a lot of debut fantasy and I would say 98% of them are crap. And this book was big and I was like, I don't know who Katie Rose Poole is. I don't know if I want to read this book. But I was like, I got nothing else to read. Let's go. And boy, was I glad I did. <laughs> So with this book, I did that thing where the end of the book, I was like, oh my God, I'm tired of reading it. It's not that I'm tired of reading it. It's just that it's just taking me a long time to get through it because it is kind of dense and it's a lot happening on the page. And so I was just like reading every word, but I wasn't quite paying too much attention. So when the reveal came at the end, I was like, what? This is crap. And I kind of lowered it to like a 425. I gave it a 425 initially but then Elise and I decided to do a read-along with the universe with this book which means we break books apart over the course of four or five weeks and we really go into depth into certain chapters chunks of chapters and we chose this book for one of I think for October read-along with the universe and when I read it again is when I realized that I judged it too harshly the first time and that the reveal was actually well done and believable. Um, so if you are unfamiliar with this book, which a lot of think I think a lot of people are because no one's reading this book. I'm not hearing anyone talk about this book, which is a shame because it's amazing. It's an amazing book, guys, and I really do think you should pick it up. It's basically about... Um, how do I how do I start this <laughs> description? We have this world where there were prophets and a guy rose up. He is the Hierophant and he is the villain and he has decided that people with magic are evil and people without magic are better and he has gaslit people and brainwashed people into thinking this and to kill the people with magic and they are running scared. And he wants to be the ruler of the world. And there is a prophecy that says that somebody is destined to stop the Hierophant. And one of our five characters is that person. And you don't know who that is. You have to read to find out who it is. You don't know it based on the description. And so what makes this book great is the characters are all different. But they all contribute something special to the story. I am a sucker for prophecy. And this prophecy was very well done. It was easy to follow. You're easy to notice when things are coming true. When the prophecy is coming true. You can easily go back to it. And pick stuff out as you read. And say oh this is happening. This is happening. She drops clues to keep you going. And to understand the big 
bombs that happen along the way. My favorite character is Jude. He is such a conflicted character. He's one of the best characters I've read since Kaz Brecker. Um, and that book came out a couple years ago. So it's been a while since I've read a character that is as well-developed and as interesting and fascinating as Jude is. I like him immensely. Um, the world is incredibly diverse. There's brown people. There's Middle Eastern people. There's Hispanic people, black people, Europeans. and But they all live in this world like harmoniously. And the breakdown is if you have magic versus if you don't. And that's where the discrimination comes in. So she's managed to make incredibly diverse, not only like racially diverse, but like sexual orientation. There's some LGBTQ characters in here as well. Um, it's got a lot of themes going on, which, as I said, I love. I love when a book has several themes happening. It is written in a way where it is not on the nose, like she allows the reader to infer what's happening and to think and to think critically about the book. Um, this book is actually nominated for a Morris Award. And Morris, the Morris Award is given by the Young Adult Division of ALA, like the Prince Award. But the Morris Award awards debut authors. And the Morris Award hardly ever considers fantasy on their nominee list like it's almost always realistic fiction realistic fiction or historical fiction and so for a fantasy to make the Morris Award nominee means the book is great it means it's got something critical here so it's not just fluff there's really interesting world building and characters going on in the story so if you're looking for a really good fantasy I do highly recommend There Will Come a Darkness, and it's by Katie Rose Poole. Okay, we are on our top two of 2019. Once again, I cannot call it YA list because this next book is not a YA book. <laughs> it is Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, and I gave this a 4.75. So... Once again, I did this thing where I read the book in June and it is a long as hell. And because it is a dope book, it is single spaced with a little font, which makes it longer. And by the time I got to the end, I was like, oh, God, that's how it ends. This is what happened. This is who the villain is. And I think I kind of gave it a 425. I was like, oh, OK, you know, it was OK. But Elise and I decided to do this for Read Along with the Universe, which means it meant I had to read it again. And that's, I forgot to mention, that's what happened with There Will Come a Darkness. I had to read it again. And once I read it again, I was like, oh, whoa, this book is way better than the first time through. And so this happened with Ninth House. I'm rereading it. We are in the, well, Elise and I did the first half of the book together. And the second half, it'll just be me breaking it down. But as I'm rereading it a second time, I am discovering all the little things, all the little greatness Bardugo drops in this book through Alex and through her world. And she's managed to take a relatively contemporary story and make it paranormal, which is great. It, 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 it makes you suspend belief, but you're able to. 
And Alex is a fascinating character because she's so broken and she makes so many mistakes, but she wants to be better so much and she's trying so hard and she keeps getting knocked down and she keeps getting back up and she keeps getting knocked down and you just feel so bad for this girl. I just want to reach through the book and bring her home with me because she wants to be so good and do so many great things but just so many things in her life just keeps bringing her back down and just the revelation of this character is magnificent I just I think she's a great character she's she's a fascinating character and if you have the time to break her down and really get into the type of person that she is it's well worth it Darlington obviously is great but you know, on the surface, and this is a testament to Bartugo's writing, on the surface, he seems like this well-adjusted, you know, great guy. But under the surface, he's got a lot of problems as well, which at first you're like, oh, here comes Alex. She is from the streets and she has no business at Yale. And Darlington is like privileged. And, but, but they have a lot more in common than they have uncommon. I like the the world that she has surrounded them in. Like I said, it is contemporary because Yale is a real school. The secret societies are real. But she's put a paranormal spin on it. And I feel like she's trying to say that, you know, these societies kind of represent the 1% where... The 1% stay 1% and the rest of us are never going to get there. We're all effed. We're just never going to get that quote unquote American dream. And they're all just out for number one. They're all out for power. And it's a timely topic. So her world is just rich and interesting. And I really enjoy reading about all the houses and what they do and their rituals and everything. It is a tough book to get through. There are some really dark moments. I just read chapter 19, which was really difficult to read. The bathroom scene is also very difficult to read. But I think it's important because Bardugo is really trying to say something about women and how we treat women, how adults treat girls, how men treat women, how other women treat women. And I find it all fascinating. A lot of people didn't like this book because I won't say a lot of people but there have been some criticism on Goodreads because I said it's really slow and there's not a lot of dialogue and this is true but it is a character driven plot so if you haven't read Ninth House because you keep hearing people say it's too slow it's not it's this book is not Six of Crows you guys this is this is an adult paced book it there's no there's little to no action on the page. It comes in spurts. And when it's there, it's important. Um, so if you're looking for a Six of Crows type of pacing, you're not going to get that here. It, Like I said with 13 Doorways, it is a deep dive into character development. And the way it's written is great. It can be a little confusing. I will admit that because Bardugo does not go in order. There's like pre-Darlington disappearance and post-Darlington disappearance. But I do like how it develops the characters even more because we see Darlington through Alex's eyes and vice versa. 
and it's not always what it seems to be and the way she writes it kind of reveals that for us which it only aids to the enjoyment of the story so if you are like me and you like a metaphorical thematic slow character moving plot then I do think you will enjoy Ninth House it is a great discussion book I of course won't be discussing it with any high schoolers because it's not a teen book but I used to be a part of a book club adult book club who uh, reads YA um, and this is so if you are part of a book club like that or well actually no it's not YA but if you are a part of a book club that does read fantasy and you have some control over recommending books, I, I think you should recommend this book. It's a great book. It will be a great discussion that you will have. Okay, we are down to my favorite, and this is a YA book, my favorite book of 2019. And it is Patron Sates of Nothing by Randy Rebay. I also gave this a 4.75. Like I said, I didn't give any fives this year. If I were to, this would probably be the one, uh, but I didn't quite give it a 4.75. I go into this, actually Elise and I both read this book, and we do go into this book quite a bit more in an older podcast. So if you want to go back and find that, I believe we did that in August, maybe. So if you want to go back and find that podcast and really listen to what we had to say, then you may go ahead and do that. But really quickly, I don't think anybody's reading this book, unfortunately. If you are a contemporary reader and lover, then I do think you're really going to enjoy this book. It's basically about uh, Jay. He is a Filipino-American boy who lives, I believe they live in Michigan. He is just, you know, he's a high school senior. He has a shitty relationship with his father. His sister's gone off to college. He doesn't really get to talk to her much. He is kind of nowhere he wants to go to school um he's just like playing video games and smoking weed with his friends and he's just living you know the life as best as he possibly could and then one day he finds out that his cousin June who's about the same age as him has died in the Philippines he was murdered and no one's telling him why and he wants to know why and him and June were close for a time they were correspond through uh, letters but um they kind of drifted apart and so when June dies Jay it just kind of hits Jay all at once like oh my god my cousin is gone nobody seems to care and I need to find out I need to do something about it so he goes to the Philippines and tries to find out what has happened to his cousin so what is great about this book is that and I forgot to mention that his cousin was possibly murdered by Duarte's regime. President Duarte is a real president in the Philippines who is killing people for abusing drugs. People who could just go get themselves some help, but he's decided to kill them. Um, and this is what happens to June. And so what I liked about the book is that... I guess the main thing I liked about it is the June character. June is only on the page for maybe a couple of pages in a one chapter and it is back when Ju or Jay is visiting the Philippines as a kid and like I said they're they're under 10 years old I don't remember how old they are but he's on the page briefly alive but Randy Rebay manages to create this fantastic character even though he's dead and you get to meet him and know him through letters that he's written to or jay 
and through his his sisters and his aunties and he sticks with you. He stuck with me to this day. I read this book in May and June has stuck with me because he was murdered for abusing drugs and he could have been or he could have done amazing things. He was such an insightful young man and he really had lots to say about his life and where he lived and his life was taken so soon and it really happens. Either it's taken too soon because someone has killed them or because they have overdosed or something. In this case, he was murdered. But, you know, sometimes kids, they are gone too soon and, you know, it's a waste when, especially when they were on their way to be or could have been amazing people and done amazing things. And it's so sad because it really happens. So the June character is probably the reason why I love this book the most. I think another reason why I love this book is because our political climate has really affected teens these days. I, I'm i a teen librarian, so I work with teens. I'm with teens all the time. I talk to teens all the time. And they are very aware of what's going on and how their rights are being taken away. Their LGBTQ rights, their reproductive rights, their... Um, gun control rights, they're afraid to go to school and they have all these drills and lockdowns at school. Their um, environmental rights, everything, they feel like they have no control over their life. And Trump actually commended Duarte for his laws and his strict rules on drug abusers. And so this book is incredibly relatable to any teen because... This is actually happening. This is not fiction. Duarte is a real person. He is really doing this. And because of our political climate, this could potentially happen here. And teens feel like they don't have a lot of control, especially if they're not old enough to vote, which a lot of teens are not. So, no, this is a great discussion starter on how to become an activist. And But it also allows teens to see themselves in this book. I think Jay is very relatable. I think a lot of teens will get something out of it. Um, He's also battling, not battling, but he's half Filipino, but he doesn't feel connected to his Filipino roots. So when he goes back to the Philippines, there is this really interesting culture that he learns about himself and he wants to do more and be more. Um, So... This is a fantastic book. It it was an NBA honor. The NBA means the National Book Award. That is a totally different organization than ALA. Um, it became a shortlist. I thought it was going to win. I predicted that it was going to win or at least get an NBA honor. And I was right. I predicted back in May. I do think that it will win the Prince Award. And like I said before, the Prince Award is given to the best YA books of the year. I do think that he has a chance of getting that award. And it's well-deserved. So if you like historical, not historical fiction, um, realistic fiction and contemporary fiction, highly, highly, highly recommend Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rabay. All right, that is my top 10 reads of the year. I hope that some of these books made your list. If you have not read these books, I hope you give them a shot. Let me know if you like them or didn't like them. 
I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for joining me. And shitty outro time. I'll catch you next time.